this weekend, we're in Jeremiah, and Lauren did a great job last weekend talking about the hope. And boy, we all need hope, you know, and I love the name Hope Church because it reminds me that we have hope. And, you know, as you go through life and you you go through difficult times, you have to know that there's hope out there. And I thought Lauren did a great job talking about the hope that we have and uh if you, haven't, uh, if you weren't here last weekend, just go online and, and catch that message. What I want to do this evening and this weekend is this. At Hope Church, we're challenging you to read and reflect daily on the Scriptures. That's what we're challenging you to do. You're going to get tired of me doing this. I'm going to be your nagging mom. For all the nagging moms, I apologize. But, you know... I am. I'm just going to say because I just... Here's why I'm saying this. Here's why I think it's important. King David said this, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. David said, Your word is so important. I'm going to treasure it in my heart. I'm going to hold it in my heart so that I won't sin. Uh, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Jesus, okay? And then he, he's hungry at this point physically hungry, and he says, man shall not live by bread alone. But if Jesus says that we need this, I think we ought to say, yeah, I think that's probably true. And then as I was like reading and reflecting, as I was going through the scriptures this week, um, in my time, we're going through the Psalms again, because we read through the Psalms twice. And I was at Psalm uh, 19. And Psalm 19 says this about the word of God. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commands of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. And then in verse 10, the psalmist says this, speaking of the word of God. The words of God are more precious than gold, even the finest gold. The most precious thing that you own is not your car, it's not your house, it's not jewelry that you may have. The most precious thing that you have on earth, the word, is the word of God. You have these words at your disposal at any time, and you have his ear at any time, at any moment. So I want to challenge you to take a moment each day and to read and reflect, because that's what we're doing. Um, so let's talk about the overall theme of the Bible because I don't want to lose this in the process. We've been moving through the Old Testament. We're moving through the whole Bible. We've moved through the historical books. We've moved through the experiential books. Now we're in the prophetic books. What is the overall theme of the Bible? And, and, and I'm, I'm making a case, I hope, that, that, that the overall theme of the Bible is that God wants to be with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. I mean, think about this. The Garden of Eden, what, what happened in the Garden of Eden? God created a perfect place so that he could be with Adam and Eve. And he basically said, there's only one requirement, don't eat from that one tree. And it says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They, they, they had a relationship with God. God brings his people out of Egypt. Remember, he raised up Moses. He brings them out of Egypt, brings them to Mount Sinai, and he has a covenant. He, he has this, this agreement, this uh, contract that he has with his people, and he says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And, 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 and here's the law, and, here, you know, and we're going to talk more about that. Um, 
And, and, and here's the tabernacle where I can be at the center of the camp. So all the tribes would face towards the center of the camp when they were out in the wilderness. And, and as they walked out of their tents every day, they would look towards the center of the camp. They would see the tabernacle and know that was the presence of God, that God was in their midst. We come to the New Testament and a woman is told that she's going to have a baby. And his name is going to be Jesus, which means Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? We come to Revelation chapter 21, and it says this in Revelation 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's, that's the, la- the, you know, the last part of the Bible there, ultimately. And, and it ends with God being with, with us, with man, women, young people. So I think the overall theme of the Bible is that God wants to be with us in relationship. Now let's stop for a minute and let's talk about that because we all have relationships. Some of them aren't so healthy, are they? Uh, some, some of the relationships we have with people aren't really very healthy. And, and unfortunately, our relationships with other people sometimes reflect our relationship with God. And sometimes we have, you know, like for instance, we have bad relationships with our parents. Maybe because we have bad parents, maybe because we're bad kids, I don't know. But ultimately, uh, we, you know, relationships can be, can be kind of, they can be good or they can be bad. And I was thinking about what are, the, what are some of the major parts the major ingredients for healthy relationships. And I'm thinking, here's a few of them. And you can think about your own relationships. Trust. You have to trust the other person, don't you? You have to say, you got my back, don't you? You know, you don't triangulate, you know, you don't go behind a person's back that, that, that they, they trust you. You don't go behind their back and talk about them right? You don't triangulate. You don't do that. You, 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 if somebody is talking about you behind your back, and if, if your friend that you have a trust relationship with, they don't just say, oh yeah, they're like that. They say, hey, you know what? This isn't cool. This ought to stop right here and now. This is wrong, especially if you're a Christian. Uh, so trust is really important. And I always tell married couples that, you know, it, however long you've been married, you build this trust bank, in, in relationship, you build this trust bank. And you can empty that bank account in one moment, and you'll never get that. You'll never get back to that level of trust. Trust is something that takes time, and uh, it's, it's really important to relationships, healthy relationships. The second part that I think is important in, in loving relationship is just a desire. <clears throat> we have some young parents here tonight. And some of you are first, you know, it's your first child or... You're just really just starting out as, in, as parents, and you're wondering, you know, every cough, every sneeze, are they going to die? Are they okay? You know, you go through all that, and by the third child, you, you know, go, you know, come on, knock, knock it off. Uh, but, but, but the point is, we, we have these, these there, 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 there's this idea of having this desire that you, you don't have to be, hopefully, is it with a little child, you don't have to be told you must love that child. It's like, duh. It's like, that's like saying, I must breathe. I don't think about it. It's just automatic, right? It's just something I do. There is a desire there. You, I, I know parents here, you have made incredible sacrifices 
your kids have grown up and you've made incredible sacrifices for your children. And it hasn't been a duty. It hasn't been something that you, f- you were forced to do. It's something you desire to do. You want your kids to be successful. You want to sacrifice. You'd do anything for your kids. If your kids needed a ride and they were four hours away and the car broke down and you'd say, hey, I'm getting in the car right now. Even if you had plans, you'd drop it all and it wouldn't be a duty. It'd be something you'd say, this is what I want to do. This is my child. This is this is what it's all about. This is what healthy... Rel- and it, it's the same is true with another person, with a spouse, hopefully, and with good friends. When you have those kind of relationships, it's just not a duty, it's a desire. When they ask you to do something, you say, I'm there, I, I, I'm with you. Or, you know, because... And then the, the third thing, I think, is commitment. So trust, having a level of trust, having a desire, it's not a duty, it's a desire. I love doing it. It's part of, you know, it's just... It's easy to do it. And you know, you have some relationships where it's like, it's all duty with that person. But then the third thing is commitment. That you made a commitment to them. And, and, and I think there's two kinds of commitments. There's probably many more, but let me give you two. There's what I call, and I think this is very true in America, what I call, it's not what I call, it's somebody else has coined it. I don't know who's coined it, but I read it some time ago and I thought it really was good consumer consumer relationship and that is basically saying i love you i'll stay with you i'll i'll do things for you i'll be with you as long as you do this as long as you are like this as long as there's always a string attached there's always something that that person must do to maintain that relationship. In other words, you don't say, I love you, period. You say, I love you because, or I love you when, I love you if. I, you know, and there's always that, that, that condition on the relationship. And I think that's so true. And, and essentially what it comes down to, even in marriage relationships, it comes down to, I love you as long as, I love you when, I love you till. And that, but if somebody better comes along, a better situation comes along, something, if you're not keeping up your part, then I'm out of here. It's like, it's not working out for me. It's like, it's, like, it's okay to, 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 to go to the store in town and, and to say, that's my store, that's where I get my groceries. But if another supermarket comes into town and it's better and bigger and cheaper, I'm out of here. You know, I'm gone. That's that consumer mentality. We bring that right into relationships. That's one way relationships works. And I think, and I pray to God, your relationships with your kids aren't that way because I think your relationship with your kids are different. At least mine are, and I think yours are too. I think you have a covenant relationship with your kids. And that basically says, I love you, period. I don't love you because of this. I don't love you when you do this. I don't love you if you do that. I won't. I just love you, period. And there are times, I got to tell you, when you're not really lovable. <laughs> but I'm always going to love you. you. You should never wake up and question whether you are loved because I love you, period. That's a covenant love. That's the kind of love we talk about that a marriage is supposed to be. It's supposed to be that covenant love. Interestingly enough, God uses marriage to talk about his covenant with his people. He says, I am in a marriage relationship with my people. In the New Testament, God describes his relationship with the church as his bride. That covenant relationship. 
So you see the difference between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship. And what we're going to talk about this weekend is this covenant relationship that God has with his people. That he wants to be with us, that he loves us, that, that, that he'll, do, he'll go to great expense to be with us. God desires to have a covenantal relationship with his people. So a covenant is a pretty deep thing. It's not just a legal contract, though. It's a legal contract. It goes deeper than that. It goes much deeper than that. He promises to be kind, to be faithful, and to be true. Now, let me give you an example of the the covenant relationships that we see in the Scripture. We talked about the Garden of Eden. And basically, he provides a great atmosphere for Adam and Eve, and he says, listen, let's just have a relationship with each other. The only rule, the only rule that I'm going you can, you can, to... You can enjoy the garden. Just don't touch. Just, it doesn't say don't touch, by the way. Just don't eat from that tree. Just, just don't eat from that tree. And you know what they did. They did. They did it. So notice what's in there. There's, there's an aspect, and this is true of any relationship. There's an aspect of law, rules... You know, we have to have some rules in relationships, don't we? We have to have an agreement of how we're going to treat each other. But then there's this love thing that goes in there. And it's hard to balance those two out. But they're there. God loved Adam and even provided a perfect place. But after they sinned, he basically booted them out. He says, you broke the covenant. You broke the law here. You're gone. And you're never coming back into this place. How about Mount Sinai? Great example of this idea of covenant. This is the, mo- we call it the Mosaic covenant. There we have a balance between the law and love. And, th- and th- where do we see that? Look at, look at what we see. Uh, we see the love, we see the tabernacle. And we read through Exodus, or we th- read through Leviticus, and we see this construction. And it sometimes, as you're reading through the Bible, it's pretty tedious, this whole sacrificial system. What's that all about? Essentially, what it's about is how are we going to, the people of Israel at that point, how are they going to experience the presence of God? God wants to be with them. He loves them. He wants to be at the center of the camp. He wants them to be protected from his holiness because they're sinful. So there's that love relationship. But then there's also law. We all know about the Ten Commandments, don't we? Let me read you this uh, passage. This is Exodus 19. Chapter 19, verses 4 through 8. This is where Moses says, okay, here's the covenant. Here's the covenant relationship that God wants to have with you. Do you want to have it with God? Do you want to have this agreement, this relationship with God? So let me read you that passage, starting at verse 4. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on an eagle's, on eagle's wings and brought you, notice, to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain. He called together all the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded. And all the people responded together. Notice what they say. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So the Lord brought the, the people's ba- answer back to the Lord. They said, we're in. Now, what happened? 
What happened was Moses was up on the mountain for a period of time. I mean, he was gone for quite a while. And they're starting to build a golden calf. They just said they're going to be loyal and faithful to God. And here they are breaking the covenant before it's even dry. Are you kidding me? Here's the key thing I want you to see. In the Old Testament, the covenant relationship held this law and love in a great tension. What is God going to do now? His people that he loves, that he wants to be with, have just trashed the covenant. And what was the covenant all about? Well, it was how are we to relate to one another? That's the Ten Commandments. How are we to relate to God? And how are we to approach God? Because he's holy. So as people break the covenant, and and basically you can read statements over and over in the Old Testament where, where God says, the day you break this covenant, you're gone. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. You're gone. You're excluded. You're out of there. You're, it, it's over. I mean, we're, you're reading through right now, and the people, if you're reading the book of Isaiah, and you come to Jeremiah, and, and Jeremiah, and we're going to go into Ezekiel, you're going to see these prophets are basically saying to the southern nation, your brothers in the north are going to be taken into captivity, and you're next unless you get your act together. Guess what? They don't get their act together and get taken into captivity, but God still loves them. He's still got a covenant with them, and he's still going to somehow carry that covenant out. That's the tension. There are times where the covenant says, if you break the covenant, you're done. We're over. It's, it, you're, 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 gonna, you're going to suffer the curses of the covenant. But then there's other times where the Old Testament says that God's love would remain consistent, constant, even in spite of the people's failure, that he would remain faithful when the people didn't. Now, how in the world can God, how does he deal with a covenant relate, how does he deal with covenant breakers? That's really the question. How does he deal with them and still retain his integrity? In other words, how is it possible that God says, when you break the covenant, you're going to get the curse of the covenant? And every time you turn around, the people of Israel, and if we're honest about ourselves, we're breaking covenant every day. How's that, how does God keep his integrity together? Some might say, well, listen, can't God just forget about it? Can't he just say, you know what? Forget about it. Or from New Jersey, forget about it. You know, you know, no, it won't work that way. That's like, and I've used this illustration before. Just if you've heard it, just humor me. All right. Let's just say we're driving in there. You're driving in your brand new car and um, you just, just, you, ha- you haven't even made a payment on it, made a down payment, but you're driving in it and we're riding together and I'm we're just enjoying it. And all of a sudden you stop at a stop sign and somebody just rams into the back of the car and the seat bags you know, the airbags deploy and you got them all over and it, you know, before you know it and the next thing you know, you're climbing out. You get out of the car and you go walk back and check on the other person that ran into you and they said, yeah, I'm all right. Okay, we're all all right. What happened? Oh, I was texting and I was, I had my computer here and I was surfing the internet and I just wasn't paying attention and I just rammed into the back of your car. And, and you're going, you know, you're just, beside your, you're just beside yourself. You're saying, how could you do that? Yeah, here I am. I'm your friend. I don't have any 
I don't have a dog and it's not my car. You know, I'm okay. You know, my neck's okay. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And I say to this guy that just ran into your car, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You just go your way. We'll go our way. Just forget about it. Now, if you're the owner of the car, I think you're not going to say, wait a minute. Who are you to say, forget about it? You're not the one that was offended. You're not the one that was hurt. You're not the one that's going to lose anything here. I am. You got no horse in this race. Right? You, and so it's easy for us to say, can't God just forget about it? Well, that's easy for us to say. We're not the ones that were offended. Okay. So the question is, and, and I know I've gone around and around and around, but I'm coming to a point because I want you to catch this passage from Jeremiah, because it's really important. How does God deal with covenant breakers without violating his holiness? Jeremiah 31 tells us. So would you turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 31? And I want to start reading at verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. This is what the the Word of God says. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife says the Lord. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Now what I want to do is just take the last bit of time we have and unpack this because this is an incredible passage of Scripture. What does this new covenant mean for us? The first thing that Jeremiah says is the new covenant is not an outward righteousness. It's not performing outward righteousness to be a different person. On the inside, basically what God is saying through Jeremiah, and he was saying to the people and to us, he's saying it to us tonight, this weekend. He's saying this. He's saying, I'm going to do an inside job. I'm going to write my law on your heart. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to change your heart. Because that's the problem. The problem isn't that you're not good enough on the outside. Remember, the scribes and the Pharisees were perfect almost on the outside. But their hearts were far from God. In the Old Testament, people would bring sacrifices. And God says, I'm tired of your sacrifices. Stop bringing me sacrifices because your hearts are far from me. And so God says, I'm going to change your heart. In other words, he is going to give people the ability and the desire to keep the covenant. The ability and the desire to keep the covenant. We call this in the New Testament being born again. 
And that's why when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, who on the outward looks very good and probably was a very moral person, Jesus is trying to explain to him this new covenant idea that you need to be born again. You need to have a new heart. You need to have an inner change. You need new life from within that will give you the desire and the ability to keep the law and keep the covenant. That's what he's saying to Nicodemus. In other words, what he's saying to Nicodemus and what he's saying to us is it's not outside in. You don't change your heart by being a better person or trying harder or doing something. You change, but when God comes, Jesus comes into your life, into your heart, changes your heart, takes a dead heart and pumps life into it, and he will change your heart. And by the way, as you go along in a Christian life, you need to have your heart broken. You need to have your heart chopped up, you know, God has to get into your heart on a regular basis. When we call upon Jesus itself for salvation and ask him to come into our lives, we find that he gives us a new inner desire and an ability to keep his, keep covenant. With. We no longer obey him out of fear or duty. That's what characterized the Old Testament. The people of the Old Testament, were, were, they did it out of fear. They did it out of duty. Have you ever had somebody do that? They do things for you, but they don't do it because they love you. They do it because they have to. That's not love. What he's saying is that when we come to Jesus, we'll find within ourselves a new love, a new desire, a whole new direction. Jeremiah speaks of this new relationship with God that is driv- driven by desire, not duty. Let me give you an illustration. Let's just say that uh, Carol and I were going to celebrate 31 years this summer. And uh, so I, and I've told, used this illustration before, but hang in there with me. Let's just say that I just plan an incredible anniversary meal, dinner. I mean, just like get her flowers. You know, I don't have to get a babysitter anymore. And so we go out, we go to a nice restaurant. We have a fabulous time. We go for a walk. And she's just like, oh, man. You got to know, Carol, this probably wouldn't work. But, um, <laughs> but she goes, oh, man, this has been an incredible evening. My favorite flowers, my favorite restaurant, a walk, so romantic. It's just, it's the best anniversary ever. And you, you've, you've taken so much time to plan it and to pull it off. It's incredible. And, and I say, to her, well, it is my duty as your husband, because it is our anniversary, and I don't want to get into trouble, right? Can you say bucket of cold water, right? It's all over. Let me just say this. So many people have that kind of relationship with God. Jesus said, there are people that are going to come to me on the last day and they're going to say, we did this, we did this, we did this. And he's going to say, depart from me. I don't even know you. You see this? This is, this is what... And, and unless Jesus changes your heart, whatever else is nothing. That's, that's why Paul basically can say that all of his learning, he's not saying that all his rabbinical training and all that is just garbage, that he didn't use it. He 
he certainly did use it. What he's saying is that didn't change his heart. It's when his heart got changed that all of his rabbinical training and all that started to make sense. That he realized that he wasn't going to change his life by being a better person. His life was going to be changed when, he be, when he, Jesus came into his life, when he was born again. Now he says that. So, so that's really cool because what he's saying is the weakness of the covenant is us. And there has to be an inner change in our lives before we can even begin to have a desire and the ability to keep the covenant. We don't want to keep the covenant. We have no power to do it. But when he comes into our life, we want to please him. We want to serve him. We want to give of our time and our talent and our treasure. We want to sacrifice ourselves for him. Why? Because he sacrificed himself for us. It's not a duty anymore. It's a desire. It it, it motivates us. It pushes us. It drives us. It's our passion. Right? That's the change. But here's something else. He makes a statement, and, and, and his statement is this. Jeremiah goes even further, and he says in the last verse that we read, he says, God will forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. This is, this, is, this is, I said, how does God deal with covenant breakers and still remain with his integrity, his holiness? How does he do that? Well, we know how he does it because we have the New Testament. And the New Testament tells us how he's going to get beyond this predicament and it is a predicament because ultimately god can't look the other way for sin because he's holy so somehow or another he has to deal with the sin problem and in jeremiah he says he is going to deal with that sin problem he doesn't tell them how he's going to do it but we know how he did it jeremiah is describing this new level of forgiveness and freedom from guilt one that the old testament people would never have known and and here's the point jesus fulfill the requirements of the old covenant and and brings us into a new covenant by giving us a new heart. How did Jesus do that? Well, Jesus did that by fulfilling God's law perfectly for us. On the cross, we talked about this tension between law and love, and we see it on the cross. On the the cross, law and love were completely reconciled On the cross, Jesus said to us, I am yours. I give myself to you. That's what he was saying. I love you, and I give myself to you. Now, he's also saying, I must give myself to you because somebody has to take. And this is the third thing. On the cross, Jesus said, I'll suffer the curses of the covenant for you. Somebody had to pay the price for the breaking of the covenant. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took the curse of the covenant for you. And when he said it is finished, he had taken the curse of the covenant for you. This is uh, the way Paul puts it in Galatians 3. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced in by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone that hangs from a tree. So he basically took the curse of the covenant for us when he suffered for us on the cross. He perfectly loved, he perfectly kept the covenant, but he 
here's the amazing thing. He took the curse of the covenant for us so that we could receive the covenant. Jesus perfectly obeyed all the requirements of the covenant and still he suffered the curses of the covenant. You see that? And only Jesus could do that. That's why the writer of Hebrews says this. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going to go back to this Jeremiah passage that we just got done reading, and he's going to apply it. It's kind of interesting how he applies it. Let me read you that. Hebrews chapter 10. This is the new covenant that I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter the most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. What he's saying here, the writer of Hebrews is saying, he understands what Jeremiah was saying, and he takes that passage and he says, not only did Jesus perfectly keep the covenant, take the curse of the covenant for us, but he tore the curtain in two. And now the holy place, we can go into the very presence of God. We can be with God. Why? Because Jesus provided a path to him. And he changes our hearts. He changes our lives. You see, God wants to be with you in covenant relationship. And Jesus provided the only way to be with God. We don't get there by trying harder. We don't get there by better following the law. We need a change of heart. We need that new desire. Only Jesus can give me a new heart. Only Jesus can change our hearts. So let me ask you, how would you characterize your relationship with God? We'll close with this. Do you approach God in a consumer relationship? Are you? Have you been? Have you basically said, God, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this for you, but I need, I'm, you know, it's like, it's like the old, uh, the Godfather. He says, you know, uh, I need a favor, and, uh, but one day, one day, I'm going to need you to give me a favor. I mean, do you have that consumer relationship with God where you're saying, you know, when, when life is going well, when God is blessing you and you're doing your part and God's doing his life as well, but when life goes bad, you go, God, where are you? How dare you do this? What's, why would you ever do this to me? And, 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 and are we having that, that consumer relationship with God? Or are we having a covenant relationship with him? We say, Jesus, I realize that I break covenant every day. I break covenant with my eyes and my hands and my mouth. I sin. I fall short. Every day. Many times during the day if I'm honest about it. I can't keep covenant, covenant to save my life, but I want to. I have an inner desire. You've changed my heart. And I realize, Jesus, you paid and took the curse of the covenant on the cross for me. And I can come boldly into the throne of grace. Grace. I can find grace. I can find forgiveness. Because you provided that for me. And I can be in relationship with you today and forever. And I realize that you'll never leave me. And that you'll never forsake me. That you've made a promise like a husband to a wife. Like a parent to a child. And you'll never leave me. And you'll never forsake me. And that I can always, like the prodigal son, turn and return to you. Repent. 
And when I repent, you receive me back. Not because I deserve it, but because Jesus paid the price. And because you want to be with me. You see, only a true understanding of this covenant and the gospel will break your heart, change your heart, remake your heart. So let me just close and take this thought that uh, I've shared with you many, many times, and it's not original with me. The two sides of the gospel coin. One side is that you are a sinner, far worse than you would ever care to admit. His law uh, is important. Sin put Jesus on the cross. God just can't overlook your sin. So every time you sin, realize that it was that sin that put him on the cross. Take it seriously and understand your sin separates you from God. And it was so bad that Jesus had to come to earth to enact a new covenant or we would never have a chance. That's how bad you are. The other side of the coin is how loved you are. That you are so loved that the Son of God would come to earth and give his life for you. That he would fulfill the covenant for you and take the curse for you because he loves you that much. And unless you balance both of those out, you won't take your sin seriously. You won't bathe and bask in his love. And you have to hold them both in tension. Law and love. And you have to understand that you're more sinful than you would ever care to admit, but you're more loved than you would ever imagine. And Jesus says, I will never forsake you. I will never forsake you. And God says, through Jeremiah to us, the weakness wasn't in the old covenant. The old covenant wasn't weak. It wasn't messed up. It was, there was nothing wrong with the old covenant. What was wrong was us. So God says through Jeremiah to us, this weekend, I'm going to write my law in your heart. I'm going to change your heart. Because if I change your heart, that will change everything. Maybe not immediately, but little by little by little. We will grow in a relationship where there's trust, where there's desire, where there's just that wanting to be with each other. I pray to God that every one of us would receive that gift that Jeremiah talks about in the passage this weekend. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the new covenant. Thank you for the way that our hearts are changed, turned on a dime, from dead to life. And Father, it's easy for us who have had our hearts turned to allow our hearts to grow cold, to allow our hearts to grow hard, and only as we reflect upon the gospel, only as we reflect upon the grace and the mercy that you offer, can that hard ground of our heart be plowed and broken and enlivened. May our hearts be broken before you daily 
as we reflect upon the cross, as we meditate on the gospel. We pray this all in Jesus' name.